0: Hello, friends, welcome to God's Eagle Ministries. This is Ambassador Orejo Monday Obey. And uh, God's Eagle's Ministry uh, through the Otakada content, we are uh, seeding the nations with God's Word, and God is transforming lives through the timeless truth in His uh, Word. He said, No one comes to me except I draw Him. So the Holy Spirit is the one that draws we make the presentation the holy spirit draws now before we go on i would um, like us to pray um uh, before then our contents are uh, reached from different parts of the world uh, we are targeting uh, seekers and and christians uh for discipleship and all kinds of contents evangelism uh to help um uh, equip the body of christ for the work of ministry of making disciples of all nations and the process we are also um, allowing the holy spirit to draw uh, men women children who are online or offline to those contents and the process receiving as lord and savior we have a 40-day discipleship process that run on its own uh, 40-day defi the discipleship process uh, one you and Christ walking together. Um, you could run the 40 day uh, discipleship process in 40 days, or 90 days, or 120, uh, 20 depending on how you are led. And so, may the Lord uh, help you and lead you to those contents that matter. Or if you're planning to witness to some other people of different uh, religion, then their processes and procedures there. That would help you um, give you the uh, head start uh, to begin to uh, do the work of ministry so may you be blessed as you do that so let us pray and commit this session into God's hands so Heavenly Father I just want to uh, thank you once again for the awesome privilege of sharing your word I thank you Lord God Almighty for who you are you are the creator of the universe the galaxy the Milky Way you created us with the shape of your pasture. Thank you because you are not a planless planless God. You are a God of purpose. You are a God of detail. You are a God of timing, seasons. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for taking us from the beginning of the year even unto this moment. Thank you for taking us out of our mother's womb. I said before the foundation of the earth, you knew us and we come in this slot of time to be instrumental in your work here on earth. Lord, I thank you for counting us as part of the Beloved. Thank you, Lord, even this moment, I ask not just for myself, but as many that are called by you who do not know their call over their life. I ask Spirit of the living God, that there will be an opening in this realm of the Spirit, that you open their spiritual eyes to see where you've called them to be, to open their ears, to hear, You clearly concerning the things that you want them to do, open their hearts to perceive and to resonate with that which you have destined for their life. For there is fulfillment, for therein can we find fulfillment and satisfaction and fulfilling the slot for which you've called us. And Heavenly Father, I ask even for us many that do not know you, Spirit of the Living God, draw them to yourself that they will know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ whom you have sent thank you for everything. But before then, I, Lord, I ask and pray in this, this moment. your word says we shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover in the name of Jesus Christ. It says we shall cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. He says we shall trample upon serpents and scorpions, upon the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. And so by that authority, I exercise that authority now in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree and declare as many that are sick, even right now unwell in their body it could be covid omicron whatever the variant virus in your body i speak to you now you have no right in that body and by the authority in the name of jesus i cause you to your root and i command you out of that body now in the name of jesus i lose health and healing into that body even right now in the name of jesus amen i speak to every ill health not virus but every other illness whatever it may be i declare wholeness is your portion and i bind that spirit right now and i command you spirit of infirmity i command you out of that body you demonic entity that is manipulating the lives of the people i command you out of that body now by the authority in the name of jesus i declare that the spirit of god rules and reigns in you spirit soul and body even right now in the name of Jesus as many that are in hospital sick right now I speak to you now arise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ testimonies shall abound to your glory that that which has been spoken has been established to the glory of your name the shame of the enemy in Jesus name amen so again today is the 19th 19th of um, of uh, December wow Uh, 2021 and the otakada content count is to me in 220,472. The title today is Perfect Words, Perfect Works, Perfect Wonders, and Perfect Wonders. It's been slain in the spirit biblical. Here three perspectives plus much ado about payment of tithe. Hello friends, in the course of my waiting within the last quarter of 2021, uh, that was before the nationwide travel of 40 day fast from the uh, 9th of August all the way to uh, September um, 21st. There, about the Elizabeth kept flashing to me the words perfection. I kept saying perfection from this singular word, several other related words followed, such as perfect words, perfect works, and perfect wonders, perfect wealth. Perfect understanding, perfect fear of the Lord. Are so many of them. Perfect counsel, perfect might. But today I chose three, and as time goes on, I'll unfold the others. Perfect words, perfect works, perfect wonders. Um, the Lord said um, to, I think it's it's in Genesis 15 there about, uh, speaking to Abraham, the father of faith. He said, "Walk before me and be thou perfect." That was when he had issues with um, the wife and and. Uh, when Ishmael uh, was born and had to um, send um, her away with with, the, with his son, you know. And so God is a God of perfection. God uh, doesn't uh, do things outside his realm of perfection. He's a perfect God. And so he does things. He seeks us. He wants us to work in perfection. So today is perfect words, perfect works, and perfect wonders in relation to being slain in the Spirit and tithing. Being slain in the Spirit ever since i have looked at every word ever since this word came to me during that fast i've looked at every word every works every wonder from the following prison what is it what did god say what did jesus say what did the holy spirit say concerning these words these works and these wonders coming from me and others it is on this premise I bring you today's title, Perfect Words, Perfect Works, and Perfect Wonders. It's been slain in the spirit biblical, here three perspectives, but much ado about payment of There There's so much error going on, errors going on around our lives and our gatherings. I have absolutely no divine backing to them, but we do them anyway. He's hoping that one day they will either correct themselves or until God begins to judge our words, our works, and our wonders will purport to be coming from Him though or from His Spirit. The following scriptures give credence to these and future exercises via our blog so that some of us can begin self-corrective actions so that we are not condemned in the day of judgment. Find our words, works, wonders. Burned down by pharaoh judgment. let's dive in and explore some scriptures i read today matthew 12 36 to 37 uh, reading the new international version but i tell you that everyone will have to give account in the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned the second reading is first corinthians 3 10 to 15 by the grace God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, the hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each person's work if what has been built survives the builder will receive the reward if it is burned up the builder will suffer loss by but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames and the matthew matthew chapter 7 verse 15 to 23 new international version watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. The people pick grapes from thumb bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We bring you some inputs from others on fights being slain in the Spirit, for us to judge by ourselves or for ourselves. These inputs are well researched for further meditation and application where necessary. Now if you missed our last post, VSC Men Fellowship Bible Study Analysis and Synthesis of the Letter to the Seven Churches in the Book of Revelation, you can get that on our, our website. This is Ambassador Orel Joe uh, Monday O'Reojo, God's Eagle Ministries. Now let's go to Much Ado about Payment of Tithes by Donald Mack, CEO there. Now, uh, let me begin by shocking you. In the entire gospel, there is not a single place Jesus clearly commands us to pay tithes. I shock you the more. In the only two places Jesus mentions tithes, he is discernibly cynical about it. Admittedly, he never tells us not to pay tithes either. However, from the gospel, it could be deducted that his overall attentive attitude towards tithes is of is that of cynicism and ambivalence. I think this point is very important because it brings you, the reader, face to face to the fact that this whole ado about tithes is actually about something our Lord treats with so much cynicism and ambivalence. So, one begins to wonder why diffuse about something Christ Himself didn't consider worthy of attention if it weren't for ideological and financial interests. The people emphasizing tithing today would have been the same people who would ask their typical question, where did Christ say it? Now let's check out those two places in the gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus uttered the word tithe only three times, but one is essentially a synoptic fashion of the other. So we're basically left with only two. The first word we to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for your tithe means still and coming have neglected the way matters of the law of justice and mercy and faith. Disease you ought to have practised without neglecting the others uh, Matthew twenty three twenty three and Luke eleven forty two. The second two men went up to temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus God I thank you that I am not like other people. I tithe a tenth of all my income, as Luke eighteen ten to twelve. These two passages portrays my argument to the effect that Jesus' overall disposition towards tithe is that of cynicism and ambivalence. In the first passage, Jesus clearly indicates that that, that the concern about truth, justice, fairness, mercy, love, etc. is weightier than and therefore preferable to tithe pain. Tithe pain is secondary and must take a subsidiary position. If one must pay tithe, one must not do like Pharisees. What should first and foremost take care to fulfil those there matters? I live in Europe. The first thing that confronts me each time I step my feet on Nigeria, right from the airport, is unimaginable wickedness, extortion at every turn, bribery, lies, dishonesty, fraud, violence, brigandage, brutality, rascality, heaviest forms of indiscipline. You see. I think any evil that is not yet practiced in Nigeria has not crossed the mind of morals. Yet this is supposed to be a nation of tithe payers. The second passage is placed in the context of the parable of Pharisees and the tax collector where the former brags about being a tithe payer while the latter humbles himself before God and eventually goes home fulfilled. I am aware that we Nigerians have been so terrorized and being numbed by religion that we hardly pause to think. But I repeat the question I muted earlier, does it not strike you that each time Jesus mentions tithe is always associated with hypocrisy and fair, uh, fair right season That isn't already a red flag vis-a-vis tithing. Now, there are the wavier parts of the law in our Nigerian context that your priests, pastors, geos has refused to draw your attention to. No doubt. Honestly, honesty and self discipline with regard to money must count. You must reject bribery and corruption in your workplace. It is difficult, but it is an act of faith. Nigerians like to talk of challenging God. Here's a fine opportunity to challenge God by rejecting bribes and acting with integrity. See if He wouldn't bless your life. You are being told that you rob God when you don't pay your tithes but you aren't told that you also rob your fellow humans when you pocket the funds meant for them. You are not told that you might be the major cause of accidents, malnutrition, infrastructural deficits, unavoidable deaths in Nigeria when you steal the money meant to forestall them using the position you occupy. You pay your fights in the cities but allow your poor parents and relatives in the village to suffer, probably because you have been told there are witches and wizards waiting to kill your destiny. Integrity, solidarity, solitude, self-control, faith, and charity are with you, part of the law, as Jesus refers to. If you neglect them, even though you pay one billion naira tithe, you are a hypocrite and a pharisee, as Jesus stands. How about the bogus relationship being established between tithing and being blessed and favored? Now, let me make this clear. One of the most blasphemous lies being peddled in the name of God in recent time is that God needs your tithes in order to bless you. It is a blasphemy because it is an insult to the holy, unfathomable, righteous God. I do think that the dynamics of God's blessings are too complex and mysterious to be reduced to monetary handouts or or bribery given to his supposed representative. It is even more scandalous and laughable to see pastors threatening people with hellfire should they not pay their tithes. Many were appalled and disappointed upon seeing a video clip where a general overseer threatened that members would miss heaven if they did not pay their tithes. Another implication of our Lord's cynical uh, disposition towards tithes is that it should occupy little, if any, space in preaching and sermon for all true members ministers of the word. I might even recommend that the attention given to it should not exceed a total of five minutes in an entire calendar year. The reason is that if tithes were an essential element of the message of salvation our Lord Jesus came to preach. He would have surely included it in the Beatitudes or even dedicated an entire disclosure to it. For instance, Jesus took time to teach us how to pray, how to fast, and so on and so forth. But this isn't the case with Thais. It simply didn't want his attention. As it, were, as it were, he may have seen it as a distraction, perhaps one of those annoying traditions that could have timid the new message he came to proclaim. Um, at this point, let us address one of the most notorious passages being cited in support of tithes, the Robbing God mantra. Malachi 3.8-12 suggests that abdicating from tithes might be a to robbing God. How do we interpret this? The passage specifically says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And I, As I see, this points more to material food less. To money through the nations, a seemingly insatiable and bottomless church of coffers. It refers to a practice of bringing the sight of one's harvest to the priest Levite, who then went ahead to shed the poor among the people of God to ensure that no one served. In other words, the focus was basically on the poor and robbing God, in this respect is squarely robbing the poor. Therefore, the ugly scenario in Nigerian churches where so-called top-type pairs owe their workers but are quick to impress the pastor-priest with their thights is actually tantamount to robbing God. This is a true interpretation of that passage. The average Nigerian priest, Pastor Gio, isn't worried about this and is even scared to say it the way I do because they fear it might come with their financial implications. Meanwhile, they are the same that will be quick to ask, is it in the Bible? If monetary tithing weren't in their favor, once again, am I bold to say that a form of tithing that is Old Testament supported is tithing in kind, not by cash. Well, I do think this is a big issue because, uh, I do not think this is a big issue because a few things have to change with time. Otherwise, Christianity becomes mere casual Casual, casual casuality. I only brought it up to expose the hypocrisy of those who are quick to ask, is it in the Bible when it serves their interest? The mention of the priest Levite calls to mind what I consider an important dimension of the debate on size, namely the accusation, the question of who a priest really is and in our present context. The Bible recounts that Abraham paid tithes Jesus, to Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem, in Genesis fourteen eighteen 18-20, in Hebrews 7, 1-2. That passage is a bit shrouded in mystery, given that it is merely mentioned in passing. Since there is hardly any further clue. Its interpretation becomes a lot more complicated, yet I suspect it must have been the practice in ancient Mesopotamia, the tent of one's harvest, including war booties, in Abraham's case was given to such an exalted priest King figure. This practice was then appropriated by Judaism when it became systematized as a religion probably facilitated by institutionalization of Levitical priesthood. Now let's return to the question, who is a priest who should receive tithes? In our contemporary context, does it include a young pastor who was fired and so de by his bishop some months ago because he wasn't doing well? Doing well in this case being nothing but making much money for his church. If this is so, then priesthood will be no less than a precarious and temporary position where the priest pastor could be unpriested according to the whims and caprices of his bishop. Does it include the young man who, having failed in all previous endeavours, whatsoforth in academics, decided to convert a warehouse near Onichi Main Market to a church to hoodwink unsuspecting traders? Does it include the young man from a neighboring village to mine who, for no fault of ease, his, at his... Given the general unemployment, the country began to feel calm, so submitted himself after some weeks of training to be ordained by a self-acclaimed bishop who pays him 30,000 naira per month to lead a branch of his church. Should he focus on the priest, pastor, venerable of more of traditional churches that have existed for a couple of centuries? Or should we limit the term priest to the church that has had an unbroken chain of secession from the seat of St. Peter spanning over two millennia? and possessing the self-understanding of the priesthood that considers it an indelible character, quite immune to the vicissitudes of life. Dear reader, your guess is as good as mine. But irrespective of what you consider priesthood and who you consider your priest, the point is that tithe is ep- ep- epiphenomenal, i.e. of little importance to Christianity. Indeed, for Christ, the way they are part of the law is consumed up, for later word love. What is more, the key significance of Melchizedek imagery for our purpose, as invoked in the letter to the Hebrews, is that Christ is our eternal High Priest who has offered the one single efficacious sacrifice for our sins. The import is that you don't need to pay tithes to be blessed by God. The one single sacrifice, Christ, is enough blessing for you. I'm aware Nigerians are crazy about favors. Then know today that Christ and Christ alone is your favor, and certainly you will not miss heaven if you don't pay your thighs, quite contrary to the geo threat I referred to above. I wish to remain true to my promise, not to interfere with your decision and to even suggest ways in which One could be supportive to the church outside the tight framework. In a place like Germany, where I spend most of my summers, there is an organized system whereby willing members part with some portion of their monthly income for the support of the church. The priest pastor does not even know how it is administered, all he knows is that he receives his salary promptly. The church is well maintained the secretary cook if he has any and other functionaries are paid well. Or well, or people may not as discipled and advanced as Germans, and if you think about it, it's all a symptom of a culture whereby the priest pastor wants to control everything. Yet something could still be done. For instance, Nigeria has some of the most generous people I have seen on the planet when it comes to giving to the church. Therefore, occasional but prudent fundraising, offering, and free will the nation could be organized to address specific needs. As has been established earlier, the poor is the God that is being directly robbed in matters of tithes. Hence, beyond being used for normal function of the church, such fundraising, offering and the nation should also benefit the poor. Nigeria is not in short supply of the poor. If the singer video could put up a well-organized nationwide outreach to the poor, the church could do even better. We can begin with our immediate neighborhoods, the hospitals and orphanages nearby. The New Testament is replete with examples where Christians made collections for the poor. There are examples where richer churches contributed to poorer ones. We find a good example in Romans 15.28. And Second uh, Corinthians nine six to ten. In fact, if one reads the letter to the Romans properly, it becomes clear that the letter was primarily occasioned by such instances of richer churches contributing to help poorer ones. Romans fifteen twenty eight. The early church demonstrated so much solidarity that there was not a needy person among them. In Acts four thirty four. This is the true meaning of the tithe. We should therefore put an end to the culture wherein tithes are collected from poor members to erect universities and institutions that are not accessible to the children of the same poor tithe peers. But the hour is coming, says Jesus, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth John 4, 23. If you want to really serve God in spirit and truth, devoid of hypocrisy, you must choose today if tithing would play any role in this regard. You may also opt for more robust ways of being supported to the church and the poor tithes to pay or not to pay. That's the question. Dear Christian, the choice is yours. Now let's go down to the meaning of uh, being slain in the spirit. In some charismatic, um, and this was brought up because I I went to a night vigil uh, today and there's so much uh, fused that was made about being slain in the spirit, even determining who would serve afterwards. So the meaning of slain in the spirit in light with perfect words, perfect works, and perfect wonders. So the meaning of slain in the spirit. So there are three perspectives here I want us to look at. In some charismatic denominations, when a preacher places a hand on someone, often the forehead, the person falls backward or collapse. Some Christians believe this is evidence of a person being overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, as God questions said. The term slain. Typically refers to the scriptural passages which assert people fall to their faces or fall in general as though dead when in the presence of God. Certain denominations split over whether this has biblical roots and as to whether the manifested power of the Holy Spirit has actually caused a person to react this way. The article will present arguments from both sides of the issue, arguments for being slain in the spirit, denominations, and Christians who Belief being slain in the Spirit is an act of Holy Spirit will often point to the following verses which show people falling to the ground seemingly by their supernatural causes. When the soldiers and Judas came to arrest Jesus, Jesus answered, "I Am He asserting His divinity? They collapsed on the ground. John 18.6 When John saw a vision of God in heaven, he fell as though dead. Revelation 1.17 Saul when on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, fell to the ground when he heard God's voice, Acts 9:3-4. You can find other examples in this article. You can also find another argument for the biblical accuracy of being slain in the spirit here. Some other main arguments on this side will inst- state the power of God can be transferred via Tosh, Acts 19:12 Mark 5:30. Not every instance of scripture involves someone falling on their face. Some will argue against being slain in the Spirit because it involves people falling backwards instead of forwards. Some people simply fell in Scripture without the verse mentioning the direction. Some people who fell in the Scripture were believers such as the Apostle John, arguments against being slain in the Spirit. Apart from the examples listed above, those who argue against being slain in the Spirit will say the term doesn't exist anywhere in Scripture, granted other terms such as Trinity Never make an appearance in the Bible either. As mentioned above, people who do not believe being slain in the spirit is biblical may argue the following Those who fell in the scripture never fell backwards, as is usually the case with being slain in the spirit. In the scripture, it was always forward or just falling in general. Daniel eight seventeen to eighteen. The act is easy to fake, and many people can defeat this experience as stated in this article. The same article above above suggests it may be the work of a supernatural force, but perhaps not from the Holy Spirit. Many of the people who fell on their phases of fell in scripture were unbelievers. If if it's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of someone, this calls into question examples such as the soldiers falling around Jesus. As stated in this article, being slain in the Spirit can sometimes appear more like a theatrical uh, display than a work of the Holy Spirit bringing glory to God is a Biblical. It's difficult to say because Scripture does not explicitly speak about this subject. Although we can see Scripture lays with examples of people falling in the presence of God, via supernatural means. We do have to take into consideration that not all of them are believers. However, we do have to keep in mind the Christian church splits massively over whether certain gifts from the Holy Spirit is still at work today. Many churches have Christians who speak in tongues and who prophesy, while other churches believe such gifts do not exist today. Whenever it comes to supernatural phenomena, Christians must exercise caution and always turn to Scripture, because Scripture is silent for the most part on this issue, having only examples and no explicit teaching on this. On this, I suggest Christians do the following when it comes to discerning this topic: one, exercise caution. When anything is supernatural, we have to test the Spirit, First John 4, 3, whether we believe it to be biblical or not. In some instances, something beyond natural phenomenon seems to be occurring. Observing the person's action afterward can determine if they experience an inward change prompted by the Holy Spirit. Number 2. Engage with both sides of the argument. Because this doesn't fall into the crucial doctrine of the church, salvation, the resurrection, etc. we shall understand that different Orthodox Christians and denominations split over this issue. In spite, in spite of the personal convictions, we should listen to believers on either side. Other side have to say and test it against Scripture. Number three. No counterfeit experience for this to exist. Because it's easy to fake something like this. No counterfeit experience. No, that counterfeit experience do happen. Although this does not mean all experiences of being slain in the spirit are fake, we need to be worried about any instance we encounter. Even if we believe the Holy Spirit does work in this capacity as mentioned above, we should always exercise caution when it comes to supernatural matters. Now, there's another perspective here from Don Stewart. What does it mean to be slain in the Spirit? What does it mean to be slain in the Spirit? The Holy Spirit and us. Question 11. There is an act known as being slain in the Spirit. These are when a person is supposedly overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit and faints or falls into the ground in physical powerlessness. Is this an experience that believers should expect to have? How should we view people who are slain in the Spirit? Do we find examples of these in the Bible. The case for people being slain in the spirit. There are a number of passages that are usually cited as examples of being slain in the spirit. They include the following. Ezekiel fell over when he saw a vision. The Bible says that the prophet Ezekiel fell over when confronted by the vision of a moving object. The show result as follows. The appearance of a rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. I heard the voice of one speaking. Is Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28 The prophet fell down when confronted by the glory of the Lord. The priests could not stand to minister. There is a passage in Second Chronicles that, that is also quoted by those who argue for believers being slain in the spirit. This passage speaks of priests not being able to stand in the presence of the Lord. It says in unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard, with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is God, is good for His loving kindness, everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Second Chronicles 5, 13 and 14 It is argued that the glory of the Lord would not allow the priests to remain standing while they ministered. The assumption is that all fell down. Judas and the crowd fell back. There were also alleged New Testament examples of this occurring. We find that Judas is carried, in the crowd that was with him fell over when arrested arresting Jesus in the guardian of Gethsemane. John's gospel reports about what happened as follows. The Jews knowing all that would happen to him came forward and said to them whom do you seek they answered him Jesus of Nazareth Jesus said to them I am he Judas who betrayed him was standing with them when Jesus said to them I am he they drew back and fell to the ground John 18 6 these people were knocked over by the power of God some see this as an illustration of being slain in the spirit Saul of Tarsus fell to the ground At his conversion Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, was knocked off of his feet. Damascus, around when he met Jesus Christ, the book of Acts says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly light from heaven flashed around him, and falling falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Acts 9, 3-4 is another example of someone falling to the ground when confronted by the Spirit of God. John fell down like he was dead. The apostle John fell as one dead when seen raising Christ. We read about these in the book of Revelation. It says, His feet were like bones glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Revelation one 15-17. Therefore, the scripture gives examples of people falling down when being overcome by the Spirit. This practice of being slain and the Spirit thus has biblical support. Response. These instances, however, do not actually teach that the Holy Spirit overcame them, causing them to fall to the ground in worship. A number of points need to be made. Some fell over voluntarily. Some of these examples are actually people voluntarily falling to the ground, apart from the episode in Gethsemane and Saul's conversion. Where the people fell back. The other instances can be understood as people voluntarily falling down to worship God. In other words, they were not overcome by the spirit to the place where they could not help, but all over. But f- all over. They fell forward, not backward. Those who are supposedly slain in the spirit fell backward, with the exception of those in Gethsemane, of all of them fell forward, not backward. Those in Gethsemane were all unbelievers. Those who fell backward in Gethsemane were not believers, but unbelievers sent there to arrest Jesus. Therefore, we can hardly attribute their falling backward to some mighty spiritual experience. Spirit-led behavior means producing the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Though people have attempted to find a biblical basis for this phenomenon, none can be found. The scripture nowhere advocates passing out while being overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Quite the contrary. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit's power is self-control, not some sort of uncontrolled ecstasy. Paul wrote to the Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Galatians 522 23 When God's Spirit is truly controlling a person's life, there is not a showing off or some outward theatrical display. Any act such as being slain in the Spirit is not a work of God's Spirit, but a work of the flesh. Whenever people call attention to themselves, they are not glorifying the God of the Bible. This is not the way the Holy Spirit works, for His ministry is to call attention to Jesus Christ. The fruit must be a cautious thing in a person's life. In addition, the Lord requires permanent results in the lives of those who trust Him. He is not looking for some temporary act that supposedly displays devotion to Him. Paul wrote about the need to conduct our lives by the power of the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.23 This is the way in which we must live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also made some comments about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Matthew records him saying the following, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. The people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down thrown into the fire. Those by their fruit you will recognize them 7:15-20. A good tree will continually produce good fruit, Therefore, we are to look at the totality of a person's life rather than some momentary experience. In sum, the idea of being slain in the spirit has no biblical support. Now, summary question 11. What does it mean to be slain in the spirit? There are a number of people who are falling down while being in the presence of God of These include uh, the prophet Ezekiel when confronted by the vision of moving objects. Another example seems to be certain priests who could not stand to minister. Uh, Judas in the crowd, uh, with, who fell to the ground when the Confident Jesus, uh, Saul of Tarsus fell to the ground. At his conversion, the were finally John the Apostle fell to the ground when seeing the raising Christ. These examples have been offered that we could prove of the legitimacy of experience known as slain in the spirit. Supposedly, supposedly, this same work of the spirit happens today in the lives of people who are touched with his power. Indeed, many examples are cited of people falling backward when when overcome with the power of the Spirit. However, there's no evidence that the Bible supports such an experience for believers. The passage used to support the belief do not do so. First we find that some of them fell over voluntarily. They were not knocked over. Therefore, it was not the power of the Spirit which seized them and caused them to fall over. Moreover, most of them fell forward, not backward. This is contrary to the modern day experience which people attribute to the power of the Spirit. In addition, the ones who fell down, backwards were unbelievers, not believers. The fact that they were not believers clearly shows they were not overwhelmed with the power of the Spirit in the same manner as those we slain today. Indeed they fell back in judgment, not worship. The Bible says that when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, they exhibit self control, not lack of control. This self control of fruit is something consistent, constant throughout their life, throughout their life. Consequently, some one time experience of falling down passing out is not an indicator of the spirituality of a person. True spirituality is living a consistent Christian life. Is being slain in the spirit biblical slain in the spirit answer. Most common, commonly being slain in the spirit happens when a minister lays hands on someone and that person collapses to the floor supposedly overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. These women will practice those who practice slain in the spirit use biblical passages that talk about Bible um talks about people becoming as dead, Revelation 117, or falling upon their face, Ezekiel 128, Daniel 8, 17 to 18, and 10 7, 2, and 9 However, there are a number of contrasts between this biblical falling on one's face and the practice of being slain in the spirit. The biblical falling down was a person's reaction to what he saw in a vision or an even be events beyond ordinary happening, such as at the transfiguration of Christ Matthew seventeen six. In the unbiblical practice of being slain in the spirit, the person responds to another start of the motion of the speaker's arm. Number two, the biblical instances were few and far between, and they occur only rarely in the lives of a few people. In the slain and the spirit phenomenon, falling down is a repeated event and an experience that that happens to many. Number three, the biblical instance is the people fall upon their face in awe. Either what or whom they see. In the slain in the spirit counterfeit, they fall backwards, either in response to the wave of the speaker's arm or as a result of a church leader's touch or a push in some cases. We're not claiming that all examples of being slain in the spirit are fakes or responds with touch or push. Many people claim to experience an energy or force that causes them to fall back. However, we find no biblical basis for this concept. Yes, there may be some energy or force involved, but if so, it is very likely not of God, not the result of the work, of the Holy Spirit. It is unfortunate that people look to such bizarre counterfeits that produce no spiritual fruit rather than pursuing the practical fruit which the Spirit gives us for the purpose of glorifying Christ with our lives. Galatians 5, 23, being filled, but the Spirit is not evidenced by such counterfeits but by a life that overflows with the Word of God in such a way that it spills over in praise, thanksgiving, and obedience to God. Slain in the Spirit or Slain in the Spirit are terms used by Pentecostal and Charismatic Christians to describe a form of prostration in which an individual falls to the floor while experiencing religious ecstasy. Believers attribute this behavior to the power of the Holy Spirit. Other terms used to describe the experience include falling under the power, overcome by the Spirit, and resting in the Spirit. The practice is associated with faith healing because individuals are often slain while seeking prayer for illness people slain in the spirit after receiving prayer from fruit healing and Catholic priest Fernando uh, S- 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 Description: uh, Socialist Margaret Poloma has defined slain, slain in the spirit as the power of the Holy Spirit so filling a person with a heightened inner awareness that the body's energy fades away and the power collapse of the flo- the person collapse of the floor Slaying in the Spirit may occur in a variety of settings, including while the person prays in solitude. However, it really occurs in group settings, including small prayer groups, religious conferences or retreats, regular church services, and large healing crusades. In church services or healing crusades, attendees may be invited to the front of the church or other venue to receive prayer from minister or team of ministers. Often the prayer is accompanied with the laying on of hands and anointing with oil. Those being prayed for perceive the Spirit of God upon them and they fall, usually on their backs. In most cases, their fall is broken by ushers or catchers. Once falling, a person may lay on the floor face up and eyes closed for several seconds to several hours in some cases. People who have experienced the phenomenon report different degrees of awareness ranging from total consciousness to complete unconsciousness. They also report feelings of peace and relaxation. While lying down, they may speak in tongues, laugh, weep, or speak praises to God. According to anthropologist Thomas Sordas, in charismatic ritual life, resting in the spirit can serve the purposes of demonstrating divine power of exhibiting the faith of those who are open to such power of allowing a person to be close to touched by or spoken to by God, sometimes via embodied image. or preparing a person to receive and exercise a spiritual gift of healing. Not all incidents of falling or sworn in, in Pentecostal and charismatic churches are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Beside the possibility of fraud, charismatics may also attribute the behavior of, to demonic activity. Analyzing accounts of early Pentecostal religious ecstasy, historian Grant Walker concluded that communal cues helped religious communities determine whether specific incidents were instigated by the Holy Spirit or not. Other explanations of the phenomenon have also been proposed, such as auto-suggestions, peer pressure, or a desire to experience what others have experienced. In addition, sociologists note that similar phenomena, such as spirit possession and trance, can be found in other religions. Joke nicol writing in the Skeptical inquiry observed the use of slaying in the spirit during a burning in healing crusade in 2001. He compared the practice to hypnosis, writing that, that participants merely engage in the form of role-playing that is prompted by their strong desire to receive divine power as well as by the influence or suggestion that they do so. In short, they behave just as if hypnotized. According to Nickel, professional hypnotist stated that this is something we do every day. Now, beginning with the first great awakening that impacted Protestant Europe, as well as Britain's American colonies in the 18th century, bodily movement became a prominent and controversial part of Protestant revivalism. Supporters of the revivals within various denominations, including Presbyterian, Congregationalist, Baptists, and Methodists, argued that trembling, groaning, screaming, and falling to the ground as dead were signs of divine power in those who were becoming aware of their own sinfulness. This bodily agitation, as well as a problem of sin and guilt, was resolved through a conscious conversion experience, which was marked by peace and joy. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, considered falling down other bodily movement to be natural, not supernatural, human responses to the supernatural testimony or death test witnesses of the Holy Spirit in conversion. Occasionally, Wesley attributed bodily movement to Satan's attempt at disrupting the conversion process but at other times he described bodily movement as natural human response to God's love. Wesley George Whitefield, Whitefield and Jonathan Edwards all record instances of people falling during their pre- their ministries during the second great awakening of the early 19th century. Peter Cartwright, Cartwright and Charles G. Finney also recorded similar behavior. the 20th century prostrate prostrate trance became chiefly associated with Pentecostalism and its offshoots. The term slain in the spirit was used in this context as early as 1920 by American healing evangelist Maria Woodward Etter, whose ministry was often accompanied by this phenomenon. In the book, The Holy Spirit, published in 1920, she wrote, It will come to pass in the last day, says the Lord, that I will plead with all flesh, with the sword and fire, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. The sword is the word of God. That is Isaiah sixty-six sixteen. The sword is the word of God. The fire is the Holy Spirit. The slain of the Lord are those who fall under the conviction, who fall like dead men under the power of God. Historian Grant Wacker argues that early Pentecostals replaced the liturgies and sacraments of traditional churches with a disciplined use of ecstasy, including the regular occurrences of slain in the spirit. Regarding the sacramental undertones, slain in the spirit, Waka writes in those situations, Christ's physical death and resurrection was re-embodied, not just reenacted, but literally re-embodied, right after night after night, before the very eyes of the believers and unbelievers alike. In one account, after another, we read that prostrate worshippers worshipers covered the floor. The story sometimes started and often implied that no one was left standing Suggest that prostration gained the racialistic significance comparable perhaps to kneeling or genuflecking in liturgical church tradition. The frequency of slaying in the spirit and importance that Pentecostal plays on it decreased over time as Pentecostals attempted to share the stereotype of being holy rollers, a derogatory term derived from instances of people literally rolling in their house when baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1989, Margaret Poloma noted that some pastors and even higher ranking leaders within the Assemblies of God uh, USA, even the dimension, were critical of the practice. St- slain in the spirit saw a resurgence during the 1960s and 1970s due to the influence of charismatic movement which disseminated pentecostal beliefs and practices among mainline protestants and roman catholics during the 1980s it expressed another surge in disability due to influence of john Wimber, an evangelical pastor and founder of the vineyard movement Okay, Christians who support the practice cite biblical evidences for its authenticity in use. Michael Brown quotes a number of scriptures which he claims support the practice of being slain in the spirit. When Gordon states that while the phrase slain in the spirit is not found in scripture, there are a number of instances where people are described as falling to the ground or falling into the trance in the presence of God. Now, examples, passages, Ezekiel 1.28, Ezekiel saw the appearance or likeness of the glory of the Lord and fell face down, similar in 3.23, 3, Daniel 10.5-18, as Daniel saw and had a vision. His spirit strength left him and he became helpless. Then he was unconscious face down. Then later trembling on his hands and knees, Matthew seventeen six, three disciples fell face down to the ground of our women in the mount of transfiguration, Revelation one ten to eighteen. The apostle John heard a loud voice behind him, then he turned to see the voice and fell at his feet, still dead. Also you see four ten, Genesis fifteen, twelve, Exodus forty thirty five, Daniel eight twenty seven, John eighteen six, Acts nine four, John uh, Acts 10, ten. These are other peace passages that describe someone falling down but they are disputed because it is not clear if they involuntarily fell in acts 19 12 and or, 9, or 28 8 or mark five thirty, james five fourteen to 15 these passages are terms of how the power of god can be transferred by touch or by laying on of hands Christians who oppose the practice dispute the interpretation of those Bible passages arguing that there is no biblical precedent and that the practice may be satanic in origin. Those skeptical of the practice have explained it as being caused by hypnosis or to suggestion or peer pressure. Christians who learn towards cessationism tend to refute the claim. That this practice is scriptural, such as Calvinist pastor and author John MacArthur, who argues that the practice is neither described nor prescribed specifically in the Bible and that it is at best of satanic origin. Some within charismatic Christianity critique the practice, such as David Paulson, a Bible teacher and a charismatic Christian, who states the closest biblical reference is the story of Ananias and Svera, which has quite different connotations. Matthew Sleek of the christian apologetics and research ministry advises caution and discernment uh we have references there in in 1967 theme holy ghost people by peter are document on appalachian critical church service in which several people were slain in the spirit now that brings to um the end of our discourse it took uh, 53 minutes uh, for that and so um I guess uh, you would have to uh, go through them over again and reflect on them. The key point is perfect words, perfect words, the perfect words, perfect works, perfect wonders. It's important we do that and not make it uh, something that is not or overblow it to the extent to indicate some level of spirituality that others don't have. It is important that we see scripture for what it is. It is important. That we are led by the Spirit, and it is important that we reflect, reflect Christ in everything we do. We do not misrepresent Christ either by a wrong misrepresentation or wrong interpretation, and then applying it uh, uh, hook, line, and sink to. Uh, things that do not have any scriptural basis. So, may the Lord bless you as you go through these and I ask that the eyes of your understanding will be opened. That you design the hearts and the mind and the will of God concerning you and concerning what he wants done in these times and seasons in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray and thank you. I thank you because of the gift of access to you. I thank you for giving us free will to understand you, to accept you or reject you but of course with the consequences Lord I ask oh God that as the hearers that are listening right now go through this uh this write up that spirit of the living God that the eyes of our understanding will be open that they will discern it that if this is of of you that it will be spoken to and if it is not that it will be quashed and uh, be seen as it is uh, amen man's manipulation in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, for everything. I cover myself with the blood of Jesus, I cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ. I declare that no weapon formed or fashion against them prosper, and every tongue that rises against us and judge them stands condemned even right now in the name of Jesus. I declare that this month, as we race to the end in less than uh, ten days, there are about ten or eleven days uh, the this year. 2021, an eventful year will come to an end. Thank you for how far you've led us and brought us. Thank you for the ways that you've made crooked. I declare that the things that have been held back, I declare release right now by the authority in the name of Jesus. I declare mountains be lifted in the name of Jesus. I declare crooked paths be made straight. I declare valleys be raised so that the gates of God, the blessings of God will flow to us and in us to others to the glory of your name the shame of the enemy in Jesus name Amen Shalom this is Ambassador Owe Ojo that's God's ego uh, Monday Owe the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you brightly and give you peace joy in the Holy Ghost may you begin to uh, to experience the peace of God the love of God the mercy of God in you and all around you and all that pertains to you and your loved ones in Jesus name Amen. Remain in Christ. Grow in Christ. Walk in Christ. Manifest Christ to your generation. In Jesus name. Amen and Amen. Shalom.